start gaining digital skills. Even if you don't want to be a data scientist or the person that's developing the automation solutions, being conversant enough in those technologies is incredibly critical. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for this show. Well, today we are revisiting a couple themes that we haven't covered in a long time. Number one, that of making a long-term career by moving up within a single organization. And then two, the topic of robotic automation and digital transformation in our profession. L'Oreal Giles is joining us for today's episode, and she is a leader in the digital technology and finance transformation space within the IMA, which is the Institute of Management Accountants. In addition to that discussion, though, we're also going to cover her 14 years of very progressive experience within BP, a large multinational organization. This interview has a tremendous amount of value. Honestly, I had a hard time fitting it all in in one episode. I probably should have broken it up a little bit, but I know you're going to enjoy it. If you do enjoy and learn something from this episode, please check out our website and our classes on our website. We have some very unique courses for the accounting profession. We have some Excel courses coming up, but then also we have some very interesting tax courses for entry-level accountants. So please check that out at mgrar.com. Just click on classes. And as always, if there's anything I can do for you in your own career or for accounting organizations you may be involved in, please reach out to me as well. I'm happy to help in any way that I can. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started. You're really going to enjoy this discussion. Here's L'Oreal Giles. Well, hello, L'Oreal. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. I am excited to be here. Wonderful. This will be a lot of fun. Well, for the audience, it's been a while since we spoke about digital transformation or robotics-related topic. A long, long while, actually. I can't believe how long it's been on the show. But for today, we have a very special guest joining us, L'Oreal Giles, who is a leader in the digital technology and finance transformation with the Institute of Management Accountants, is joining us for today's program. This is going to be quite the discussion. L'Oreal spent many years with BP and had quite the progressive career, I might add. And of course, we're going to cover that first. So between that and the digital conversation, this is going to be a lot of fun. Well, L'Oreal, before we get to what you do now exactly, let's cover the early years of your career first. What led you to consider accounting as a possible career choice in the first place? So my dad actually majored in accounting, and he owned his own tax business for several decades. So my very first job was in middle school, believe it or not, working as an assistant filing papers for his income tax business. And he did income taxes for individuals as well as small businesses. And that was, interestingly enough, my inspiration that I did not want to pursue tax. But what he explained to me was that it was much more than tax. And him talking me through what accounting was beyond tax was actually what intrigued me most. He positioned it to me as the language's business. And my ultimate goal was actually to be a business owner. 
And he said, you can't manage your business. You can't see everything without being able to master accounting. So he encouraged me to pursue accounting. I took an accounting class in high school as an elective, and that effectively confirmed, again, that I did not want to pursue tax, but that there was so much more to accounting within organizations. That is so interesting. That's how I got into accounting as well. I, I worked for my father in middle school because he had his own tax practice. Yeah, I, I ended up liking tax actually. <laughs> but, uh, that that is intriguing. Interesting. Okay, okay. So when you went into college, then it was one hundred percent. You already knew you were going to be an accounting major. Is that right? Absolutely. I declared my major up front. I initially thought I would major in a double major in accounting and business management. And I was going to school during the fall, the spring, and the summer semesters. And going to school full-time in the summer, I realized after my second summer that I could graduate in three years instead of four if I had a single major. So I dropped the double major for business management and went forth with accounting and finished in three years. So that was the exciting part for me. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay. Wow. So you were at VP a long time. I'm curious, was that your first job out of college or did you do other internships or anything? That was my first job out of college. I did not do any internships. And that was in large part because I wanted to get out of college as soon as I could so I could start working and going to to school full time. So year round, effectively, I didn't have the opportunity to do internships. And believe it or not, I worked at McDonald's my whole time through college And I was in Louisiana, grew up in Louisiana. I was living in Baton Rouge. And the first offer I had was for McDonald's corporate office. And that was the corporate office at that time in New Orleans. And I was planning to go and work in accounting at McDonald's. And this was all around the time of Hurricane Katrina. Uh, Shortly after I had that offer extended to me, Hurricane Katrina happened and the office was destroyed. So I didn't have the option to go the route I just knew I would be going. And that made me say, what are we going to do? I had to refocus. And I went to my career services organization in my university, which was Southern University in Baton Rouge. And they said, well, we've got tons of companies coming on campus to conduct interviews. Which ones do you want to submit your resume to? And BP was one of those. There were tons of oil and gas companies. Uh, tons of other organizations. I had decided I didn't want to pursue tax or public accounting. So I (laughs) submitted my resume company that was coming that would allow me to be a management accountant. So that's how I ultimately ended up at VP. Okay. Wow. Wow. It's interesting how fate works, you know, (laughs) because that obviously worked out for you a long time. Wow. Okay. What kind of role did you start out with at BP? And I know you held several while you were there. I mean, 14 years is a long time. So let, let's walk through sort of how you, each role you had and then how you got the next opportunity, because we don't see this a lot where people build a career in a company for that long. Let's walk through that time. Absolutely. I started at BP and one of the reasons I chose BP specifically was because they had a graduate rotational program. So when you're hired, you get to spend your first three years in three different roles. And we see that a lot with some of the larger enterprises where you've got lots of variety within a specific discipline for the types of roles you could have. And my very first role at BP was as a financial analyst in the exploration and production segment. 
And that was performing budgets, that was long-term plans, short-term fiscal plans as well for what they effectively called a technological hub within BP. And that was groups of geologists, groups of engineers who charged their time out to the various exploration and production projects. And that was really exciting because it allowed me to dive headfirst into the core operations of our business. A lot of times today we talk about business acumen and how important it is to understand the core operations of the business. And I was able to do that in that very first role. So my first three roles, again, the the rotational program. So that was my first rotation for a year. The next role, I went into audits. And that was joint venture revenue and vendor auditing. So I sat in the companies or in the offices of some of the organizations that we had a joint venture relationship with and audited them to ensure that what they were doing was in compliance with the joint operating agreement that we had. So we might have been drilling together. I might have sat in a vendor's office if they were handling the drilling for a rig or, or sat in one of our joint venture partners' offices uh, conducting revenue audits and the likes, looking at royalties. And all of that was to identify if we were in compliance with the Council of Petroleum Accountant Society's statements. That was kind of the governing body to be able to say, are you putting these, these, these agreements in place in the right way? Are you recognizing revenue in the right way in compliance? And so that was a year spent there. And the last rotational role that I had in that program was in our natural gas and liquid business. So BP has an entire trading arm where there's derivative accounting that's done. There is supply accounting, if you will. And so instances where we're buying and selling or trading natural gas and liquids products, some of that would be the byproducts of what you have in the natural gas production process through fractionation, if you will. So this is my oil and gas hat back one for a moment. But that was really fun. I was I was an accounting and reporting analyst in that role. And that taught me not just the exposure I had to the exploration and production business, but this was on a completely different side. So the trading business itself. And I started off working on inventory. We're in the inventory, of course, in this scenario is molecules. So we're talking about how many what's the volume of of propane or butane that we sold to a given client or that we're still holding. And so that was incredibly interesting. Uh, All the things we talk about with FIFO and LIFO, having to apply that to something that wasn't as tangible as the traditional production or manufacturing process. So that was my third role in the graduate rotational program, and it confirmed that I liked the trading side of the value chain more than the exploration and production side. It was a bit more complex for me uh, from an accounting perspective because you got to dabble in the derivatives accounting. The people that we were supporting were preparing plans and financial statements for traders, and and margin has to be calculated at the end of each day. You need to be able to say what was the P&L on a daily basis And then what does that look like in aggregate on a monthly basis for an individual trader's portfolio and then for the gamut, right, for the entire entire business unit? And so that was really exciting for me. And I decided after those three rotational roles to stay in BP's trading business. And so the bulk of my time was supporting 
the, the trading business. I started out as what they called an NGL, reporting and accounting analyst. And so that was for natural gas and liquid. And I switched around in a couple of roles after that one. I realized I wanted to be able to manage projects for continuous improvement opportunities, but still within the trading organization. So as I finished the rotational program, I identified a whole host of opportunities for how we could do things more efficiently and realized I was quite passionate about continuous improvement. And I joined a team. So I I went to a town hall. I'll say you asked about how I got into some of the roles. So the graduate rotational program, there's kind of you're assigned to different areas. You get to express interest in a certain area, but they assign you to one. After that, I attended a town hall. And the town hall, was one of the speakers was a gentleman who was launching a new team called the Business Change Team. And this was effectively change management to, to manage large-scale projects across the organization. And this is shortly after I'd had this epiphany that I wanted to be able to work on continuous improvement opportunities. So I approached this leader and I told him, I want to be on your team. I don't know when you're going to form the team or what level the roles will be at, but I am excited about entering project management and continuous improvement. And he was excited about me showing initiative. Apparently, no one else went up to him after this town hall with a few hundred folk. And when it was time for him to post roles, which was months later, he reached out to me the day before he was about to post the role and said, it's about to be posted. You should apply. I applied. And in BP, there's an incredibly formal interview process for every single role. So I had to go through that interview process with the panel interviews and the situational-based interviews that are conducted, and I got the role. So I started then in what they call the business change coordinator or project manager role, and this was around the time they were rolling out the Dodd-Frank Act. And one of the projects that we had was related to real-time reporting. So there was this uh, regulatory obligation that was introduced where we had to report all trades, financial trades within real time, within a 30 minutes, 15 minutes or so by the time it was the transaction was completed, and then registering and filing legal entities as large traders. And so I was able to work on that project. It took tons of work because we had three different operational systems that we used for trading, depending on which product. So NGL trading was in one system, gas trading was in another, power was in another. And so working across all of those systems, to figure out how we needed to be in compliance, interpreting the regulations that were introduced. And that project specifically said to me, I think I like tech. So technology was not something I had really considered prior to that. And being able to have the conversation and liaise between the people on the IT side, as well as the people within the business, is serving as that liaison, interpreting business needs, defining business requirements, and then testing the application itself and managing the system side of things was incredibly rewarding. And that role was exciting for me. I wanted to stay there. I wanted to move up in that role because I felt project management was the life. And I was approached by my former boss, who uh, when I was in the NGL's accounting and reporting team, and they said they needed someone to lead the team. And I said, well, I don't know how to do that job. So I didn't want it. Interestingly enough, (laughs) I said, my former boss, he said, well, the manager that you had at the time is about to move to a different team. We need someone to lead the team. And this guy was about to be promoted. And he said he told his new boss 
he would only accept the role if I came to lead the NGL's accounting team because he knew I knew the work. And I said, I don't believe this is a growth opportunity for me. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny, the things we do in our youth, right? I said to him, I would love to lead people, but I already know how to do this job. And I was doing this job informally before I joined the project management team. I would rather continue to grow, even if it's just horizontally in my knowledge with project management. And he said, are you serious? And so he said he's, he's kind of in shock because he didn't expect me to, to turn him down. And he says, I really need you to do this. And I said, well, if I'm going to do this, I need assurances that I'm going to have the space to grow. I'm really passionate about continuing to be challenged intellectually. And I didn't know that I would be able to get that from going back to the team that I was on previously. And we made an agreement. The agreement was if I joined this team and rocked it, if you will, for the first year, then I would get a promotion within the same team. So I was going in as a team lead because I hadn't been working very long for what it's worth. I was going in as a team lead. And if I rocked it for a year, I'd be promoted to manager. And then they would help me find ways to expand my knowledge set, if you will. And that worked. So I did that for about maybe nine or 10 months. And the annual season came around to review performance. They agreed that I'd done a good job and I was promoted to manager of that team. And once I was promoted to manager, I was able to get expanded responsibility so that I wasn't only focusing on the NGL's accounting business. So I led the accounting and reporting team for NGL. And then I had the opportunity to step into a little bit of external reporting, which was great for me because we ended up having to file one of our legal entities under the accordance with the Dodd-Frank Act. And then I got to dabble in the U.S. GAAP and the IFRS financial statement for one of BP's legal entities for trading. And I was able to produce those financial statements effectively independently and then submit them to review for the controller and the like. And that, to me, gave me exposure, not so much to a different aspect of the business, but to a different aspect of accounting that I had not touched yet. So the role paid off for what it's worth. And then I kind of made a call that I had been in trading for long enough. And part of the reason I chose BP, just a large enterprise in general, is because you have the opportunity to learn different things or to get exposed to completely different businesses, if you will, without leaving a company. And I thought that I learned a lot in trading, but I wanted to to see a different aspect of the business. And in large enterprises, as is customary, there's a job board. So we can go to LinkedIn. We're looking for an external job. But within the organization, you can go see jobs that are posted across the organization all the time. And I think there were 80, 90,000 employees or so at the time. So tons of roles available all the time. And one of the roles that I saw was a financial reporting manager within our corporate business. And so instead of sitting within the operations, so I had been accustomed to sitting kind of co-located with the business, this would step up to the corporate and function segment and say, take a holistic view of all of BP's operations across America. And I was able to successfully get that job as financial reporting manager. So I applied, went through the interview process with dozens of others and got that job. And that role was leading planning performance management and analysis for BP America's executive team. So I prepared all the budget for the BP America CEO. 
and directed the corporate close process for that segment on a monthly basis, uh, provided guidance for escheatment and an accounts payable activity, so a host of things there. And again, not necessarily co-located with the operational side of the business, but that part was with regard to the corporate side of things. And I sat in that role for a bit and another role came up. I was approached by my leader who said they were doing change management within the corporate and functions segment. So conscious that I had done change management in the trading business, I was approached about a senior manager role to lead change management in our corporate and functions team. Of course, that was right up my alley. So I was happy to do that. And that's where I started getting deeper dives into the digital transformation side of things. We got to work with data visualization, a little bit of automation, some digital transformation as it related to data analytics. And a lot of that also focused on organizational change, the decision to or not to outsource or to or not to uh, move roles to shared services centers or or to streamline further leveraging technology with the persons that were on the ground, if you will. I, I, role, I was in that role, senior manager for group finance, what they called modernization. And that was a global effort across the U.S. and the U.K. And then that role gave me so much exposure to digital technology that it opened another opportunity. I saw a role posted for RPA, for robotic process automation. And it was to stand up a team for RPA. And interestingly enough, toward the back end of the transformation role with the corporate and functions group, I sat in an information session with KPMG where they talked about RPA and all the capabilities. And I was in shock at the end of that 60-minute session because I said, why aren't we doing more of this? If it's as good as everyone says it is, I don't understand why we're not doing more of this. This could solve half the manual work that we're doing in my team today. And I started researching RPA and maybe for the next two months, just because it piqued my interest, I read lots of articles, watched lots of videos and just learned more about RPA. And about two or three months after that, a role was posted for robotic process automation within the exploration and production segment, but for the finance and accounting function specifically. And that would allow me to marry the digital technology skills I had been gaining with my knowledge of accounting and reporting within operational groups. And I interviewed and applied for that role, went through a couple of rounds of interviews uh, with other persons and was excited because that was the first role where I was in what they characterize as senior leadership, the senior leadership level. And I was able to stand up the robotic process automation program for the finance organization globally. And that to me was was kind of the culmination, if you will, of marrying digital technology with the knowledge of finance and accounting. And we empowered finance and accounting professionals to be able to lead the automation themselves. So that was my last role at BP. So I'll pause there and see where you'd like to go next. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And thanks for covering in such detail because you really did so much there. I wanted to make sure we didn't skip any any important experience. Many people have 10 jobs in the time that <laughs> that would be peace. So, you, know, you never know. With our target audience in mind, so to speak, you know, students and up-and-coming professionals in mind, I have some thoughts, but I want to make sure I don't put words in your mouth. I mean, you mentioned being approached a couple times about jobs at BP. And although you also mentioned that there's always listings at a big company like that, 
there's a difference between posting or applying, if you will, to an internal posting versus actually being selected for it also. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people can apply, but obviously you got selected many times as well. What do you feel led to your ability to continue to move up and be selected and get all these great opportunities in that 14-year period? Is there anything you can look back right. on and what did you do right, L'Oreal? <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> so I'd say the first thing is, one, you have to be committed to a high level of performance. And I think nothing else matters if you don't deliver. And so the guidance that I often give to students in that setting is performance comes first. Everything else comes after that. And so the first thing that I would say is I was really, really relentless about my standards for my personal delivery and how I could link that delivery back to the strategy of the particular part of the organization I was supporting. So I wanted to be able to know if I calculated growth margin for this specific trader, I wanted to be able to link that directly back to one of the strategic objectives for that part of the organization. And I did that in every single role. And when I wrote my performance review comments, they were written in that manner with a strategic focus. The other piece that I think is equally important is I wasn't afraid to put myself out there. Some of these roles I was approached after I went to a leader and said, I want to join your team. And I know you don't have any roles posted right now. I know you don't have any opportunities currently, but I believe the work that your team is doing or will do is aligned with what I want to do. Tell me what I need to do to be prepared once that role is ready. And I've done that probably two or three times throughout my career. And in many instances, that led to once the posting was available, someone approached me. And so I think one piece of it is performance, which is critical. And the other piece of it is not being afraid to put yourself out there. Uh, some of these people were incredibly senior, the segment CEOs or people who were on the leadership teams of those persons. But recognizing that they're just people as well, I would send them a meeting invite. If they didn't reply to the meeting invite, I might reach out to their assistant and see if I could get 30 minutes on their calendar just to understand what I needed to do to be ready to work on their team. And I think that helped a lot. Wonderful. Thank you. I did want to get into that because I heard you know, building relationships as sort of a theme throughout this. And I think early in our careers, so often we think we're going to be chosen simply because of GPA or experience or hard work. And all those are important. They're very important. But you also have to be friendly. <laughs> build relationships yes. with people as well. So, so I know Absolutely. I'm a VP you've joined the IMA, the Institute of Management Accountants. I was curious, I guess, at what point did you become aware of the IMA? Had you gotten involved as a volunteer before coming on board or, or how did that work? So I actually became aware of IMA in undergrad. I wrote an undergraduate thesis. I attended at Southern University and as a requirement to graduate from the Honors College, we had to write a thesis. And the topic for my thesis was creating a management accounting concentration for undergraduate accounting curricula. I learned of a statistic in my senior year of college that nearly 80% of accountants in the U.S. are in management accounting roles. And that means working as accountants or financial professionals within the organization rather than in a standalone CPA firm or in the public accounting sense. But most of our accounting curricula was still geared toward public accounting exclusively. And that baffled me. 
it wasn't so much to say we don't need public accounting because that's incredibly valuable and we won't make it without it. It was more to say, why don't we also focus on management accounting, which is where apparently the bulk of accounting graduates will at least end their careers or will be there within the first five years of graduating college. And so I wrote about this dilemma, if you will, and how to remedy it in my senior year of college. And to do my literature review, I had to read a lot of IMA's work. So when I moved to Houston, working for BP from Louisiana, I joined the Houston chapter of the IMA. And I thought I had gone to heaven when I attended my first session because there were so many people who understood the power of management accounting. And I heard at the time the CEO of IMA speak at one of those Houston IMA chapter sessions. And I went up to him just as I did in in other roles. I went up to him after the session and expressed how passionate I was about management accounting and told him about my thesis. And I was invited to attend a young professionals forum for IMA that they hosted in Chicago and effectively leveraged that network to build relationships with other young professionals, with persons who are IMA staff members and other IMA volunteers. And that sparked the volunteer journey that I had with IMA. I spoke at a host of student leadership events. There are annual student leadership conferences. I spoke at many of those, probably seven or eight or so in the last decade. And while working at BPS, I continued to progress. In my last role or so, maybe just before the last role at BP, I was elected to IMA's Global Board of Directors. And in my role on the board, what I realized is it was time. It was time for me to circle back to the journey that I started in undergrad and try to affect change on a global scale for the accounting profession. And that to me said I would leave BP and join IMA as a staff member. And and I wanted to join in the research department specifically because I think that research drives or has the power to drive so much of what we do as a profession. And so the volunteer journey turned into a staff journey eventually. (laughs) Beautiful. There's a lesson in and of itself right there. I love that. So that transitions really well into what I wanted to ask you about next. I guess, what is your role specifically at the IMA? I mean, what are you responsible for and and how do you spend your time? (laughs) Yes. So my current role is Director of Research for Digital Technology and Finance Transformation. And that means that I conduct really large research studies on different aspects of digital technology and how they affect the finance and accounting work. It also means that I conduct research on different aspects of finance transformation. So I spend the bulk of my time reading, writing, and presenting the research that that has been conducted. So over, I've been with IMA probably about 14 or 15 months now. And in that time, I have produced three or published three research studies, one of them on robotic process automation, one of them on agile, which is a software development lifecycle and approach to, to project management and how we can leverage agile and Scrum method to have more efficient operational delivery within the accounting world. And the other was diversity, equity, and inclusion within the U.S. accounting profession. So those three large studies I've published with support of a host of others over the past year or so. And then a lot of my time, again, writing, I've probably written dozens of articles 
over the past year just to demystify a lot of the digital tools that are available today and to talk through what the transformation journey could look like. So spending my time reading, writing, and presenting, probably in the last three months, I might have presented to 30 or 40 different venues on various topics related to digital technology or finance transformation. Oh my gosh. Wow. Who says you don't have to like people to be an accountant? I mean, that <laughs> part. Of <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Well, digital transformation, that's one of those terms that it sounds cool. It sounds fun. If I'm a young professional just starting my career or I want to focus my career you know, in an area, wow, this sounds fun. From a practical standpoint, I guess, where are the job opportunities in digital transformation for someone that's earlier on in their career? Or how can someone position themselves well? You know, If, if I was at that point, what could I do to help grow my career in that area? How could I prepare myself? A lot of the learning that we need, a lot of the skills that we need, we can gain in so many ways in today's world that were not available 15, 20, 30 years ago. So what I mean by that is the primary piece of advice is to start building your digital tool set, if you will. So build your skill set with a bias toward digital technology. And that might mean developing data visualization skills where maybe you learn about Tableau or Power BI. It might mean developing data analytics skills. You could do that at, at the foundational level, leveraging Excel. You could go the route of learning Python or R and the different programming languages where you're able to analyze the data on a different level of granularity and draw different insights out of it. You could also leverage data visualization tools to analyze data as well. Other opportunities focusing on the automation side of things, robotic process automation presents a really, I'd say, user-friendly path toward finance and accounting professionals automating their own processes and not being solely reliant on the IT organization to be able to progress efficiencies. And so the path there, all of these resources to learn about robotic process automation, data visualization, data analytics are available for free in the overwhelming majority of instances online. But with RPA, leading RPA tools, UiPath, Automation Anywhere, Blue Prism, they all have their own learning academies on their websites. And you can attend hours and hours of training for free, get certification for $100, $200, something in the like. That's to be able to point to the knowledge that you've gained. Data visualization, Tableau and Power BI have learning features available as well. Uh, community editions of the software that you can download to learn and try to explore use cases. And the same thing available with data analytics, lots of that available. So my initial admonishment is start gaining digital skills. Even if you don't want to be a data scientist or the person that's developing the automation solutions, being conversant enough in those technologies is incredibly critical. And that's part of the reason I joined IMA, to make sure that those types of learning resources were available. So what we do oftentimes is we adapt our research to learning products. So we have educational courses that I've developed on robotic process automation or Agile and Scrum for project management. We also have other things on data analytics and visualization. There's a certificate available for that, Blockchain 101. So some of those aren't getting your hands dirty, if you will, with, with the hands-on work, but it's speaking about the broader capabilities that are needed to be able to support those implementations. 
Mm-hmm. If you think out 10 years or so for yourself and your field, what are some of the changes or improvements that you'd like to make or that you'd like to be a part of making in digital transformation? What, what would you like to see happen? I believe that the extent to which we embrace data analytics as a profession will influence our viability over the long term as a profession. And that means to me, we're being asked as finance functions, even as the audit firm, we're being asked to provide insights in some manner. And those could be independent insights with regard to where gaps have been identified, where vulnerabilities exist. That could also be strategic insights from within the organization for how the organization could create and deliver value in a better way or deliver more value. And the business's reliance on accounting and finance as a profession for those types of insights will only ultimately be realized if we're able to truly leverage data analytics. And so what I'm hopeful for over the next decade is that more and more of us in the profession embrace digital technology as a means to creating value and as a means to preserving value. And I think that over the past decade, we've talked a lot about leveraging digital technology for that purpose, but I haven't seen it affect change on as wide of a scale that is truly possible. And so there's a lot of capability in the digital space that accountants and financial professionals just aren't aware of yet. And I'm hopeful that over the next decade, we're able to reshape the way we deliver value for management accountants specifically. That means repositioning us as an analytics hub, as as someone who has the capability and the access to financial and non-financial data to be able to draw critical insights that influence strategic business decisions. And so I think that hopefully, again, over the next five to 10 years, we see a significant uptick and at the extent to which we embrace digital tools like automation, business process automation, data analytics, data visualization, and that that translates ultimately in us being relied upon even more heavily by the business to deliver the insights that are needed to progress. Wonderful. Well, I want to be respectful of your time, and, and we end every show with the same three questions. We probably better get to those. One more thing, though, you mentioned your director, but I was thinking in some of our pre-show emails, there was some change coming to your role, right? Yes. So it will be announced in the near future, but I have been named vice president of research and thought leadership at IMA. So very excited about that. What I've been doing since I joined IMA has been, as we talked about, focusing on digital technology and finance transformation. This gives me the opportunity to lead our research department at positioning IMA as a thought leader across the profession globally, and it expands the reach of different types of projects that would be led and gives us a really interesting opportunity to make sure that the research that we do reaches the people that matter most, the practitioners. A lot of times we see in some academic research that the research that's done doesn't actually reach the practitioner. It sits in academic journals in some instances, and the data and the insights that could be valuable don't make it to the accountant or the auditor or the CFO or the controller. 
And what we aspire to do, certainly what I aspire to do leading research at IMA is ensuring that all of the research we do is incredibly relevant to the end user, the practitioner themselves, and that we find ways to get it in their hands so that once they look at it, they say, I can do my job better, more effectively, more efficiently using the information that I've gained from that. So incredibly excited, honored to be able to to be in that position and certainly the culmination of what I set out to do unknowingly as an accounting student in undergrad. And I'll say as a dotted line to that, I'll be beginning an executive doctorate program in the fall. So this is July. So at the end of August or so, I'll be beginning the Pepperdine University Executive Doctorate in Business Administration program. And so all of that, again, with the ultimate goal of ensuring that we can deliver rigorous research with insights that are valuable to CFOs, controllers, auditors, partners, and the like. (laughs) You definitely don't sit still for long. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That is exciting. Well, I do end every show with the same three questions because it gives us a lot of consistency across all the different episodes. The first one's usually the easiest one. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? My proudest moment was earlier this year in February. And I think that says something because I've been working for some years at this point, right? But in February of this year, I published a research study called Diversifying U.S. Accounting Talent. And I didn't come to IMA, interestingly enough, uh, with the intention of conducting diversity research. My expected focus, as far as I could see it, was digital technology and finance transformation. What I grew to appreciate very quickly after joining was the transformation itself is, is made up of so much more than what we often talk about. And the people, the people who will be in that transformation are integral to its success. And that drew the linkage for me to diversity. If we don't have diverse teams, we don't realize the benefits that we want. We as accountants don't even necessarily realize the ethical obligation that we have to render judgment in an unbiased way or in a fair way. And that study, publishing that study, I think was the proudest moment of my career because I believe it meant more than any of the other individual components on their own. And that said to me, not only does this have an impact on how we could progress as a profession with our transformation journeys and delivering greater value to the organizations we support, but it speaks to a much broader societal impact. And we published that in February of this year that has now spawned, and I'll say that was co-sponsored by the California Society of CPAs with a host of others that joined us, IFAC and and other state CPA societies, NABA, ALSA, the National Association of Black Accountants, the Association for Latina Professionals for America, the National Society of Black CPAs, coming together to collaborate to enact change. And that was from a U.S. perspective. I'm now leading three studies in other geographic regions on diversity as well, Southeast Asia, Europe, and the Middle East and India. And we're also progressing a host of other solutions-related work for not just how we look at the state, the current state of the profession from a diversity, equity, and inclusion perspective, but how we say what needs to happen and let's get after it. And then how we measure that progress over time. 
the proudest moment of my life being able to say we released that major diversity report earlier in February of this year, something that I didn't set out to do, but I think is more monumental and impactful than anything else that I've ever done. Wonderful. That's very important work for sure. Well, the second question, and really it's more of a request, tell us about a lesson that you've learned the hard way. (laughs) And the more you can tell us about the situation, the better, of course, because that's how we learn from these. I think a lesson I learned the hard way was how to adapt your communication style to your audiences. When I joined BP and started my career straight out of college, I saw so many opportunities for improvement. And I had not mastered how to balance that against the fact that people had been doing work a certain way for a very long time and were proud of that work and attached to that work. And the fact that I saw opportunities didn't negate the value of the work that was being done. It was introducing, I'd say, efficiencies or a different perspective, an unfamiliar perspective. And so the lesson I had to learn the hard way was how to just continuous improvement. And it took me a while to understand that. And that's something that I think is important for students to hear as well, because you'll enter an organization with people much more seasoned and experienced than you. And we need to value the insights of people who have been working in a certain area for a long time. It, they come with experiences that we couldn't possibly amass. and that experience is so incredibly valuable and will influence the future work. And so what I didn't have an appreciation for was how to adapt my communication style for every audience and how to strike the right balance of respecting the work that's already in place while identifying opportunity for improvement. And so I'd like to think that I've mastered that in a lot of ways, but we all still have much growth to do in every regard. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. That really is a good lesson. And it's important to learn early in your career. <laughs> you know, you can absolutely relationships with that kind of thing. Definitely. Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What's the best piece of advice that you have ever received? The best piece of professional advice that I have ever received came from one of my managers at BP, a gentleman named Mike Robertson. And he told me, every time you start a role, you should plan to work yourself out of a job. And I thought that sounded very strange, the way that he phrased it. But he said, when he takes over a team or he is leading people, he said his goal is at the end of his stint in that role to one, be ready for the next role. And being ready for the next role means that someone within that team needs to have the capability to carry on without you. And that requires you to do much more than just your job on paper. It requires you to empower others that you're leading. It empowers you to pour into others. So you have to to pour in the insights that you have. It also requires that you learn from others of all levels. And so I've attempted to approach that joining every role, taking on every position with the intent of, quote unquote, working myself out of a job. And that means that I've learned more. It means that I've given more while in those roles. And in most instances, it means when someone approached me about the next job that I was able to go because I had been working the entire time on developing others to be able to do what I was doing. 
So best piece of advice from Mike Robertson at BP, work yourself out of a job. That is great advice. That is great advice. Well, thank you so much, L'Oreal, for doing this. I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I, I know you definitely have enough to do <laughs> during your work <laughs> at the IMA. If a student wants to find out more about management accounting and consequently they want to look up the IMA, why don't you go ahead and give us that website? Yep. So it's imanet.org, I-M-A-N-E-T.org. You can find probably a chapter, a professional or a student chapter near you. And feel free, of course, to reach out to me directly on LinkedIn with any specific questions. Wonderful. Thank you again. I really appreciate you spending your time with us. Absolutely. An honor to be here. Well, that was my interview with L'Oreal Giles with the Institute of Management Accountants. I just love it when I get to interview a true subject matter expert in an area. That's one of the real joys of running a podcast like this, actually, is just all the interesting people that I get to interview. So I very much appreciated L'Oreal taking out her time for this show. Thank you so much. Another takeaway from this episode because I found it interesting, we're talking about robotics and automation, and yet when we talk about L'Oreal's progression through BP, you'll notice how much of it was due to soft skills and people skills and just good old-fashioned hard work and effort. And I think no matter how far we go down the road of using robotic and automation tools, nonetheless, still somewhere there's people involved. I think it's important for us to remember that. So this episode had a lot of takeaways for me. I hope it did for you as well. Well, join us next week when we have another very interesting accounting guest come on the program to discuss their career. I really appreciate you choosing to spend your time with us. We'll see you soon. After all, this is Where Accountants Go. 